All right, guys, in today's video, I am joined once again by Dr. E. Michael Jones. Dr. Jones, how are you doing? Great, great. Thanks very much for being back on. It's been a while since we spoke and a great deal has happened. It feels like everything has happened at this point. Uh, for those people who don't know, Dr. E. Michael Jones of Culture Wars magazine is an experienced lecturer, public speaker, and author of such books as Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control, a book that's probably more relevant now than ever, and his recent work, Logos, Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality. Dr. Jones, that's the, the recent work. Um, that, that's the culmination of what looks like an enormous amount of work on your behalf over the last few years and your realizations and epiphanies about Logos. Uh, can you describe the book to people who haven't read it and uh, why you believe this message is so important now? Yeah, it is a culmination of about 40 years of uh, my writing. So uh, it's uh, uh, they, the books get broader in scope, and they can't get any broader than this book in scope because it goes from the beginning of absolutely everything, which is creation, all the way up to the present day, to the presidential campaign. And it's uh, a history of, of Logos, which is man's understanding of ultimate reality. Now, we are all being subjected right now to a huge battle over ultimate reality. Who's going to speak for ultimate reality? Well, the answer to this question for the past uh, 200 years has been science. And now we have reached a point where the scientists have become the tyrants that are basically forcing us to be locked up in our homes uh, the economy is dying and all because some scientist claims that he's in possession of ultimate reality. I'm saying that science uh, needs to be evaluated. We all know this now. OK, we're past the era of mainstream media monopoly on the public narrative. We are faced. Uh, let's put it this way. Donald Trump is now faced, even if he wants to follow science, he's faced with competing scientists. Well, if science is in possession of the ultimate reality, what do you do when one scientist tells you to do one thing and one scientist tells you to do the other? Well, you have to fall back on Logos. And I'm talking in particular uh, what we call prudence. Uh, prudence is, the first of all, the ability to understand the truth and then the ability to act on it. And that's precisely what our leaders need. And that's precisely what the battle uh, is about today. So the Logos has a direct relevance to what we're talking about. And I'm thinking you talked about hope. I always have to talk to the Irish, to the melancholic Irish. I had to talk John Waters back off the ledge uh, <laughs> in November. He was ready to jump into the St. Joseph River. Uh, I had to talk him, but, but, but by pointing out that there, uh, we're seeing what we need to see is the big picture here. And the big picture is that there is a movement of consciousness, that it's rising right now, that we understand this, this scientific charade now in a way that we didn't understand it before, and it's something that's inescapable. We can't, we can't get through this crisis until we come to some type of understanding of who trumps whom here, okay? Who is in charge here? Are the scientists in charge? And what do you do when you have competing uh, uh, narratives from competing scientists? What do you do then? And the other point here is, who is in charge of uh, our lives here? Is it the government that we elect? 
or is it the experts that tell the government what to do? Now, this also has relevance, direct relevance to Ireland, because what did Ireland do uh, in recent years? What they did was they basically accepted the lie that abortion is a medical procedure, a, a safe and necessary medical procedure. And they did that because uh, they wanted to engage in unlimited sexual uh, liberation. That's why they did it. They needed a rationalization. The scientists provided them with a rationalization and they went for it and said, yes, abortion is a medical procedure. Well, guess what happened? Now all medicine is being used to confine the Irish to their homes. Now you have medical tyrants telling you whether you're allowed to come out of your house or not and how long you're allowed to take your walk and where you're allowed to take your walk. And this is all imposed in the name of medicine and science. And so this is now the crucial issue in Ireland. Are the Irish going to wake up? Well, I tell you what, the frustrating thing, and this is, I'm with John on this one because we, I mean, you have a different perspective. You're on the outside looking in. Perhaps you have, a, in some ways, a better perspective than us. Maybe we're even too close to the situation in some regards. But I, I look down there. I, I, it, it's so demoralizing to go and do shopping. I've spoken to this to people. You're queuing in this ridiculous line, and it, it occurred to me, uh, you know, as everyone's there with their masks, just doing what they're told. The docility is very high amongst people, not just in Ireland but around the world. There was no questioning of this, and it's it's bizarre. You know, they don't see the conflicts. You have to queue and you have to separate yourself two meters from people with your with your shopping cart. And then you're taken in in groups of five. Now, once you're in there, you're in there with 100 other people. So there's not really an issue. Um, but outside, you have to be separated, which makes no sense to me. And it occurred to me that not only is this about dividing people socially, divide and conquer tactic and demoralizing the populace, but it also it preps them for potential food shortages down the line, whether it's through socialism or something like that. But it also gets people to act in a controlled manner that is unnatural. And I think everything that you've been talking about is moving away from the moral law, which is the natural law, which is natural relations between men and women and between people and societies and communities. And the final thing I think it does is it makes them hate shopping to the point where they'll go, this is such a hassle that whenever I have to come down here, I have to queue for ages, maybe in the rain. It'd be better off if I just did all my shopping online bought everything there rather than going to the store because what they're trying to do is make socializing and being in the pu in, in a public space, in a public setting outside of work, they're trying to make it intolerable. So we will spend more time deracinated, isolated, alone, and we'll just deliver your groceries, deliver your shopping, and all your other consumable products to the door. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think that there's a big part of that is the divide and conquer aspect of this? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right in seeing this as one of the goals of the social engineers. I mean, Logos is a fundamental concept for the human race. There's another fundamental concept that comes from Greece, and it's called the Agora. The Agora is the marketplace. The marketplace is where people come together to share ideas. They, they, this is where commerce takes place. All of economics can be reduced to a, a form of the Agora, where one man has something to sell and one man has, has the money to buy it. And they come together and they organize, they come to an agreement. The, 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 Aristotle said that uh, Greeks, uh, Greek citizens, the citizens of Athens could not uh, work for a living 
uh, because they didn't have time to do that because they spent all their time at meetings talking to each other. They, that, they had a real democracy where you had to sit down, you had to talk to everyone uh, and come to some type of agreement. Unlike Persia, Pache, all my Iranian friends, okay, I love you, but uh, Persia, uh, they had a top-down society where the uh, Darius had a dream and he decided that's going to be how I'm going to decide whether to go into a battle or not. You have two fundamentally different views of, of, of the human race here and how the human race operates. So we uh, are uh, supposed to, it's pretty benign here in Indiana. I mean, we, we go out wherever we want. I've been rowing on the, the St. Joe River doing my usual exercise. Nobody bothers me. The paths are full of people on walking on bicycles and everything else. It's not locked down by any stretch of the imagination. But there are certain things that, you know, restaurants are closed, churches are closed. So, well, and I'll to also get back just to, to point that point that out. They're saying they're determining in a very Orwellian manner what is essential activity, what is non-essential activity, and apparently the church. I mean, I saw an article, and Rusty Reno's talked about it as well. It was an article. I don't know who wrote it, but they were talking about how uh, going to the grocery store, being among, communing in that way, that's essential. Going to church, non-essential. Handing over your change at the at the store, at the at the cashier, that's essential handing the body of Christ to someone and receiving it, non-essential. So there is obviously an attack here. But I, I personally believe the more I've, I've gotten into my faith, the more I've prayed, the more I've realized that the battle we're facing is very much a spiritual one between ultimate good and ultimate evil. And the choice, I think, as we go further and further into this as the years go by, is going to have to be, uh, we have to lift the scales from people's eyes in order for them to see this, that a secular society has brought this about. We talk about the, the experts. Now these people, you know, th these people now are, are the, the pious leaders of our society who are telling us what we should and should not, should not do. And because we've cast off the church, or in, in fact the church itself has become so unbelievably weakened, especially with its current pope, and because we no longer value it, I mean the church should be front and center here, helping people in, in this time. And instead it's, it's virtually anonymous. They want to get you to watch mass on the television. Well, it's not mass if it's on the television, because the whole no, point is that you're not, not on mass. It's not a mass no, you're not with other not. people. That's right. Can you download a communion host? From your television or your computer? No, you can't. You can't. So, I mean, to get back to the point I was trying to make here, so we didn't have our usual sun Sunday family gathering. So uh, the the uh, my my in-laws, my my daughter's in-laws, uh, are handing out uh, <laughs> kibasi and uh, potato salad like a drive-in restaurant. Okay. And I'm standing there waiting and I'm talking to, uh, you know, another relative. And of course, the first thing we start talking about is the horrendous situation in Michigan because he lives in Michigan and Michigan is different than Indiana. And so what you had was the opposite of social distancing. Nobody's wearing a mask. We're not worried about getting the disease here. We're talking to people we've known. We're part of a family, an extended family. And when we get together, we talk about this type of thing. And that's precisely what you're not supposed to be doing right now. This, you, you, Amazon is making out like a bandit now. Yeah, Amazon they've hired a lot is, of new staff as well. Yeah, They're hiring, I, I, last I heard 100,000, then I hear 70,000. So they're probably going to hire 170,000 people. And, and this is just part of, I mean, it's just part of whether you want to like it or not, this is the way things are, the way things are going. 
So whether whether you buy from Amazon or whether you go to the mall, which is now an obsolete form of retail technology, uh, the the world is changing. Well, the my, world is changing. It is. My, my worry but, but though but, is. Go ahead. Go ahead. But the point point I'm trying to make here is, you can't you can't live without a master. And so the question is, who's your master going to be? And if you abandon the church, if you abandon the church as your spiritual guide, there's not going to be freedom. There's not going to be freedom to do whatever you want. You're going to be controlled by a different group of people that has no uh, qualms about the moral law because you abandoned the moral law when you legal when you decriminalized abortion. So don't expect someone to defend your moral rights because you gave them up yourself. Well, this, this is, is exactly as I've been saying. You know, I have absolutely no faith in the in the general Irish population to do the right thing, or even perhaps even the comprehensible thing at this point. Uh, whether it was the last couple of major cultural referendums uh, on the marriage referendum of 2015, abortion 2018, or even just the last election, it just goes to show how people have are absolutely completely clueless that they would they would vote overwhelmingly for. Sinn Féin, uh, a Marxist party, obviously they're likely going to be squeezed out now because of this uh, right. joint Listen, union of, of, of uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. But it, it, it seems to me that I think that the, the, there's an agreement between myself, yourself, and John Waters. Where myself and John might differ with you is how do we see this potential awakening happening and where, where can we find the opportunities to make it happen for the populace? Yeah. I mean, first of all, don't badmouth the Irish people. Okay. I'm half Irish myself. <laughs> but the point you can beat is, up on your own, Dr. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the point here is our job is to explain what's going on. And I mean, they had the wool pull pulled over their eyes, you know, and that's too bad. I feel bad for, for these people. But the other hand, I'm, I'm half German. And uh, the reaction is starting in Germany, of all places. I mean, I never thought you think it would start in Ireland first and then Germany, but it's, it's the opposite. Now, the Germans on Easter Sunday, the Germans went out uh, across Germany. I saw the pictures before they made the news media, which hardly made a ripple here. But people standing in the streets in Berlin uh, yeah. just saying, wir sind das Volk. OK, we are the people. And uh, by what they're saying is that we don't we don't want to be ruled by experts anymore. You can't, which expert are we talking about? We, the people, have the right to determine when this thing is going to end. And as a matter of fact, we're saying it ended now by the fact that we're out on the street. Well, this is so it. The, I mean, the, if, if the, uh... the German cops were there now, nobody of the, that I knew in Berlin got arrested. But then they arrested the lady, the lawyer, Beata Bonner. Uh, who organized the thing. They arrested her with absolutely brutal uh, police state tactics, put her in a mental institution. Uh, but then again, that's not the end of the story either because the very next day, Angela Merkel comes on and announces, yes, we're going to end the quarantine. So Angela Merkel, this is good news, okay? Because Angela Merkel, as a, a, a politician, knows where the power lies, okay? And she knows she has to get out in front of this movement because if she doesn't get out in front of this movement, it's going to escape her control. And she will be confronted with a situation where more and more people are going to be out in the street. And what are you going to do? Send in the cops and shoot them? Yeah, no. for, for their own good, for their own health and safety. Yes, we'll attack people. Yeah. We're going to gun you down for your own health and safety. Yes, that would. But it's not happening. 
It's not happening. And that, so the, the German half of me is rejoicing here and trying to bring joy to the melancholic Irish half that I have to prop up here, you know, and keep them from heading to the pub. Well, it's the, it's the strangest thing, you know, people talk about the fighting Irish. I think when people say, whatever happened to the Irish? It's, it's quite it's simple enough. It was a long-standing sense of inferiority complex after, uh, you know, the generational sense that was passed down after uh, colonialism. And after having been a colony for so long, there's this kind of sense of, I suppose, are we are we good enough on an international scale? We 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 care too much about what other people think. That's and then, right. So there's this there's this consensus society that forms around that of well, in order for us to really uh, be noticed, we need to make sure that we have you know the best abortion or the or the best uh, trans rights or the rest the best gay marriage to the point where we'll actually modify our own constitution. We have to go so far left wing that the world notices that we've finally arrived. We'll be ahead in all the terrible things, whether it's censorship or or even this lockdown and how draconian we have it here. But when it comes to actually leading, we'll often say, well, we need to look at to France and Germany and what they're doing on X, Y, and Z. There are no leaders here. You know, we, we've only ever had people who've been happy enough to fall in line, comply with EU diktats. And that's good. as long as our masters in, in Brussels are happy enough, you know, we, we want to kind of ingratiate ourselves to the rest of the world in order to have, you know, a, a sense that we're validated as a people. And that's a terrible mindset to be in because nobody wants to step. I mean, this was always like this, even, even in school, I was saying this to John, he was saying something similar that if you ever said that and smart, you know, you got looks from people and you were shouted at by the other kids because everybody wanted to be kept down. So there is that mindset, even uh, Gemma O'Doherty and John Waters have recently challenged the, uh, uh, they've challenged this lockdown now in court because it is unconstitutional. And it was announced yesterday on RT television. You go to Twitter and you see all these comments and people are calling out John and Gemma. And it's like they're, they're literally embracing their own oppression, these people. They obviously don't want lockdown to end, realizing there's going to be massive economic consequences and healthcare consequences, Dr. Jones, in the future. Because obviously a collapsed economy is going to produce epic levels of poverty. And where where's the money for healthcare going to come from? This is how diseases spread. This is how you eventually have humanitarian crisis. Um, are you surprised at how quickly, not just in Ireland, but globally, that the masses have accepted this? That we've, we've talked about rising tyranny for so long, and it seems like in the last few weeks, it's all come at once. Well, I think it's the sequel to the battle over the Internet that took place in 2019. That was a battle over uh, control, control of the mind. We're talking about mind control here. Who controls the narrative? You know, and they lost control of the narrative in 2019. It turned out to be a battle largely over hate speech. And, and so the pushback from the Internet side uh, was that, well, who, gives the, who, who gave you the right to tell us what hate speech is? And I, I went on. I mean, I, I, I don't want to brag here, but I was on the front lines of that battle. And the reason I say that is because the ADL who is the author of hate speech, singled me out as one of 10 people out of the billions of people on the internet who should be banned. And so we pushed back and we said, look, who is the ADL to determine what we're allowed to say? And at that point they lost because I was singled out uh, in November and you know I'm waiting for the ax to fall on the back of my neck and one day, one week, well, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, which means that they lost in some sense or other the control. This is a return. This is the sequel. This is another attempt to reassert oligarchic control. 
And nobody perceived it as such at the beginning because it doesn't look that way because it's not supposed to look that way. You know, it's supposed to be a medical emergency. Well, this is always the way the scientists and the technocrats get their uh, get their way in. But I think over this period of time, Logos arose. Logos rose. People took a step back. They started evaluating what they could understand, and they came up with a coherent counter-narrative that's better than the, the mainstream narrative because it explains more. And I think that's where we are right now. And I think now with the beginning, the dam is starting there. Their uh, dam is starting to crack in Germany. Well, that's it's, a, that's it's a, cracking all over the world. I mean, first of all, you have no I, I don't maybe you do, but the situation in India is absolutely horrendous. Yeah. I mean, you talk about India is an incredibly violent place. Uh, ask anybody who's not a Hindu who lives there. And what they had, uh, Narendra Modi, okay, is a docile tool of the oligarchs who promotes uh, uh, religious violence as a way of keeping himself in power. He's, he's behind these Muslim vigilante groups that go out and kill you if they suspect that you, you disrespected a cow. Uh, and he, in order to get uh, IMF, a billion dollars from the IMF to fight the coronavirus, he implemented the World Health Organization guidelines and threw about uh, uh, millions, must be millions of people out of work. And I'm talking about the lowest class in uh, India, the, the untouchable class that live in the slums of Mumbai that work day to day, hand, live hand to mouth. He threw them out of work and now they are on the verge of starvation. I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. And, and they are rioting now. There are riots all across India. I mean, this is the type of violent pushback that I think that uh, 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 Angela Merkel is trying to avoid. Uh, it's also, there's pushback in Michigan now uh, because of the draconian measures they've imposed. So this is, uh, this is a good sign. This is a sign that the, 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 the conventional narrative that, that the people here, the people across the world have access to Logos. Every single person in the world is a rational creature. And rational creatures can evaluate the situation. They don't need experts to tell them what's going on. Yes, Obviously, and, uh, we take this we take this into account. Okay, yes, and, and, and I, I, I'll just I'll just interrupt there if I if I may. I I think that you're you're right about that. Um, the the oligarchs who are, who have been behind this, we'll talk a little bit more about that because there is a document that I wanted to go through. I know you've mentioned it in a, in an article recently. Um, they're definitely playing for keeps. They're playing a very big game, and they have a lot of things and tools in their arsenal that we're bringing in. The, me the mainstream media is already talking about the cashless society. We're all aware of the dangers there. They're talking about the mandatory vaccinations with immunity certificates and all this kind of stuff. Check your papers. Check your papers, please, kind of thing. A digital ID system. All of these things people have described that down the future that we might start to see microchipping, you know, mark of the beast type stuff. So it's ultimate control they're going for. And I'm getting the sense increasingly, as because uh, I know a lot of people who will never take these mandatory vaccines. It, it, for them, it really will be my body, my choice. Um, and what I think, what I'm thinking is that if the oligarchs fail this time, obviously, if they, if they get a certain level of pushback, they always pull back and they go, oh, okay, okay, we'll try again a little bit later. But I think if they absolutely fail this time, Dr. Jones, um, and there's a lot riding on it, that they will fail forever because this 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 lie, and I, I believe the COVID-19 is a real virus, and I believe that it is dangerous to a certain demographic of the population, but I think it's been massively overblown for political gain and for political overreach. 
And But I think with all of that said, that if they fail using this strategy, that they won't be able to use it again. Because I think the stakes are too high. People will, will eventually, I am starting to see it even anecdotally in my own, uh, just out for a walk. And I had a couple of neighbors come up to me who I didn't even realize that they knew that I did YouTube videos, telling me that they saw my recent videos talking to Ernst Wolf about the economic uh, ramifications of this. A number of people saying that they saw it. I'm Even my own father started, who was, was having arguments with him there the other week. You know, he's in his 70s. He, even he's starting to go, hold on a second, this has just gone a little bit too far. More and more people that I'm hearing in Ireland, the same thing. There is, there is that component of when you meet someone on the street, or it could be somebody, even a stranger, and you get to talking about this, they kind of look at you like they want to see when you're having this conversation, they go, oh, this is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And they want to they see what they can get back from you if you will go one step further, Dr. Jones, and say something like, well, yeah, it is crazy. And actually, the whole thing is bullshit. And here's why. They actually almost want permission. And it is that emperor, the emperor's new clothes, as Dr. Wolfgang Wodarg has described it. Uh, once somebody says it, the seed is planted in people's minds to a certain degree, especially when it's backed up. I think something instinctive in people knows that they're being oppressed. They, they, they reject captivity. It's within people. It takes an ideology and it takes a whole hell of a lot of propaganda for them to accept it. Uh, and that has to be continuously layered on through the media, fear porn, all the time. And I think at a certain point, something, some of it will just be rejected. And I, and I think that's, there's a potential chink there in the armor that we can exploit down the line. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that one of the main achievements of the oligarchs has been to reveal that the regime here, the American empire, is not interested in freedom. It's interested in control. Now, I, I wrote uh, Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control, 25 years ago. And everybody thought, you're crazy. What could be more blah, blah, blah? Well, it turns out that it is that way. It is a form of control. They've showed their hand. They're interested in controlling you. And, and it turns out that all of the stuff that they were claiming was liberating you was just a form of control. Now, I, said, I mentioned in the article um, – Pasolini's film, uh, Salo, uh, P Piero Paolo Pasolini was an Italian director. He was a Catholic and he was a homosexual and he struggled. Those things, those things struggled with him throughout his life. So he did a, a, a movie on the gospel of St. Matthew, which earned praise from the Vatican. And then he jumped into the, the soft core porn revolution of the early 70s with that trilogy, beginning with the Decameron, which he's his vision of the Middle Ages, Italian Middle Ages as a kind of Catholic utopia where sex and religion could in be innocently stand side by side. I mean, sexual liberation. Uh, and uh, and then he, he, he turned on the whole thing. At, at that point, Germany went took took the same path and they went into hardcore pornography. But Pasolini, in a sense, pulled back and he did a film called Sallow, which is in many, it's a, probably the most disgusting film you'll ever see in your life. But it's not hardcore. It didn't go into hardcore. And basically the premise is that if you think you're going to have sexual liberation, you young people out there, it's going to be on the terms that the oligarchs set. They will set the terms because they have the political power and you will be rounded up and you'll be brought into this uh, chateau or castle in Italy and you will uh, act out their fantasies and not your fantasies. 
So all religious observance will be banned. And if you're caught engaging in heterosexual activity, you will be executed. Now, that is an exaggerated artistic paradigm of exactly what happened here. That's exactly what happened. If you have the eyes to see, that is precisely the world that they created for us now as, as a result of the coronavirus. Okay, religious services have been banned, but uh, uh, Pornhub is now offering free subscriptions to the Italians who are locked into their uh, apartments. This is also I've also I talked they've, about uh, they've offered it now globally to anybody in lockdown for a certain anybody. amount of time. So it's so blatant. It's like it's so obvious now that. Well, and so it turns out that uh, pornography is a form of control that I wasn't exaggerating when I talked about what the Israelis did in Ramallah when they occupied the, the village and the city and they started broadcasting pornography over TV sets. And so the Palestinians are locked in their homes. Hey, that sounds familiar. And the only source of information is the television. You turn it on, you get pornography. Now, these are all everything is different. OK, let's let's put that at the beginning. But you put these things together, these three instances. And I think you're starting to see in the similarities the world that the oligarchs have in mind for us. Yeah. Yeah, no, you do. And actually, something that John Waters mentioned the last time we spoke, he was talking about identity politics, which I think is another element of this, which is that identity politics is that divide and conquer strategy, but it appeals to certain identity groups. So based on race, sexuality, whatever it is, and or, or, or gender, for example. And so you, you take the, that particular person, you isolate them and you say, you're a protected minority group. And so you get these special privileges and you get special uh, anti-discrimination laws or rules or hate speech, or whatever it is. That's very enticing. It buys that person over and so but when that same person wants to express a view or free speech that's actually meaningful that might actually speak against the oligarchs that's genuine political dissent that's not protected but no. you see people they kind of go well i gotta weigh it up i get this i got this special treatment over here but all i have to do to get that is to not speak out over here and I think that's similar to, you know, the, I'm seeing these ridiculous videos where people are taking microchips in their hand. This is happening in Sweden. Uh, this is also happening in other places. It's been talked about in the UK. And so they're taking the, these microchips in the hand. And it's just been trialed by these companies. And they think, oh, you can scan on. You can open an electronic door in, in the, uh, like a fob in, in your workplace. You can use it as a, as a credit card or a debit card. I mean, this is sounding more and more. If this ever became mandatory, we know exactly what this would sound like. It's also your passport. It can be your immunity passport. It can be all these things. So people are, as John was saying, bought over by bauble rights, these, these uh, fancy, shiny things. And then actual rights. I mean, obviously, if that happened, you could be tracked and traced absolutely anywhere in the world. I mean, you'd, you'd lose all right. your freedoms, all your privacy. It's complete surveillance police state at that point, right? Yeah, well, so, I mean, one of, one of the great achievements of the, pan, of the pandemic is to expose uh, the, the nefarious activity of Bill Gates. I mean, who, what, where, where were we? I mean, what were we thinking about? Uh, Bill Gates, Microsoft, oh, something else. No, he's been working on vaccines for, two, for, uh, for ever since he got kicked out of Microsoft because he was going to be put in jail by the Justice Department for violating the interstate commerce or something like that. And so now he steps forward and he's the prime expert and he's proposing immunity certificates. If you get his test, 
I mean, it's so obvious what's going on here. Bill has invested billions of dollars in vaccines because you don't need FDA regulations to do that. He spread vaccines all over the world, killed many people in Africa with them, sterilized many people in Africa. You can read the details in the article in Culture Wars. And now he's going to he, he's he's going to come to our rescue by giving us immunity certificates so that we can go about our normal business, which we were doing before we had immunity certificates. This the same thing is happening in a different key in India. My friend uh, uh, Ravi in, in Delhi uh, has to download an app provided by the government to get into his building, to go out of his building. I mean, this is the type of control that uh, the technology is being used uh, to implement. Well, they, this is the, the the dangerous element here that can happen as well, is that they, they take all your freedom away and then they say, OK, you know, we're, we're opening back up. We're opening the economy slowly, slowly, slowly. But they add caveats, caveats and, and asterisks and qualifiers after all your rights. Slowly you'll get them back, but you'll have to conform to this here. And, and you were seeing that in China. Um my worry is that we become more like China, and that's what people, in other words, all of our rights become uh, more like concessions, right? Right. So, so in other well, words, I, the, the, the idea instead of, of what we're talking about here, which is the moral law and our rights coming from God, that people start to accept, especially in a secular society, that their rights and freedoms come from the state. And right now, it seems that for the most part, people seem to believe this. And so uh, my worry is that after that they say, well, you know, there's so many, nu there's such a nuisance in my life. Like, for example, getting stopped by the police on the way into the city, these checkpoints that they have. Um, if I could make that go away if I just had the immunity passport. To, my worry is to what extent that people go along with it. And I have to wonder because we, we could be on a slippery slope to being like China. Um, what stops us from getting there? Like, for example, if Logos is to rise, it obviously has to it obviously has to rise before we get to that level. And it obviously hasn't risen sufficiently in China. So that would how, how would what would your rebuttal to that be? Well, I, my fear is not so much external controls as internal controls. And what I'm talking about is when the populace internalizes the commands of its oppressors. That's what we're talking about. I mean, John, you, you already mentioned the Irish inferiority complex. That's what we're talking about there. I mean, it's longstanding. My, my Irish uh, great aunts came over here and they worked as servants in the houses of the rich. And they admired the rich at the pinnacle of the wasp ruling class, you know, when they had those big fancy houses in, in Chestnut Hill and, and Bryn Mawr and the main line. You see it in Australia. You see in Australia even more so, you know, where you, your, your great grandfather was a criminal in Ireland and that's why you're an Australian. Uh, but at least he knew who threw him in jail. He knew who his oppressor was. And I'm telling the Australians, you don't, you don't, but that's changing there too. Because largely because of what happened to Cardinal Pell. That had a huge effect on Catholic consciousness uh, in, in Australia. Uh, they're starting to realize, <laughs> great headline, Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Pell holds culture wars responsible for his uh, prison sentence. Wait a minute, I didn't do it, uh, Your Eminence, uh, just to clarify things here. But he's talking about now, the he's talking about the term, not the magazine. And the term is making the rounds now all throughout Australia. 
because of what happened to him. So again, you see this, uh, God allows evil, in this case, the, the conviction of an innocent man, a, a man who knew he was innocent, everybody knew he was innocent, he was railroaded by the, the media, ended up going to jail, and then suddenly the Supreme Court had to overturn that. And that is now sending a wave of consciousness through the Catholic Church in, in, in Australia saying, well, maybe there is something afoot here. Maybe there are culture wars. Maybe he was unjustly sentenced. I'm saying this is necessary, but we have to explain it to people because most people can't put two and two together. That's why we're talking right now. We're trying to put two and two together. And the main danger here is internalizing the commands of your oppressors. That's the main danger that you willingly got, you, you willingly lock yourself in your cell every night. Well, we're literally doing it. We're literally locking ourselves in our houses every night. We're literally not going out onto the street because we have internalized the commands of our oppressors. And our oppressors are basically the Bill Gates medical big pharma establishment that conquered Ireland, by the way. Uh, it was the pharma, the big pharma companies that set up this whole thing with, and then brought in their tax-exempt foundations and all that other type of stuff. We are starting to understand how warfare works in our day and how it's dependent on the occupation of your mind. And if they don't occupy your mind, then you're on your way to getting out of your house. That's, I think, the, the message that we have to spread. This is a message of hope. This is a message of hope because we all have access to the power that's going to free us. And that access is called Logos. We have the ability to make judgments. We have ability, the ability to fight their virus, their intellectual virus that has colonized our mind, has colonized the mind of the Irish for now. For how long now? How long with those referenda, getting them to go on board and lock themselves in their own cells? And now, hey, you're literally locked down now, aren't you? Where did that come from? Well, you gave it to them because you handed your mind over to the to the oligarchs. I just want to point out it wasn't me <laughs> specifically. You, you Irishman. <laughs> Stop generalizing. Um, it, <laughs> it has been like that. I want to I want to conclude actually, if we can, on. Um, the because you did i believe you did mention it in a recent article which is the rockefeller foundation i mean it, i read this today to somebody and they were just gobsmacked because it felt like a play-by-play -play. it felt like oh that's everything that's happening more or less uh this was a document from 2010 and it is referred to it's called the scenarios for the future of technology and international development doesn't that sound nice and in the opening line, it was uh, Judith Rodden uh, writes that the Rockefeller Foundation supports work that expands opportunity and strengthens resilience in social, economic health and environmental challenges, affirming its pioneering philanthropic mission since 1913 to promote uh, the well-being of humanity. Uh, we take a synergistic, strategic approach that places a high value on innovative processes and encourages new ways of seeking ideas to break down silos and encourage, encourage interdisciplinary thinking. One important and novel component of our strategy toolkit is scenario planning, a process of creating narratives about the future based on factors likely to affect a particular set of challenges and opportunities. So one of the scenarios, Dr. Jones, you probably are aware of, which is that they gave a scenario of a potential epidemic. 
um, that would happen. And they thought it was going to happen. Again, this document was written in 2010. They thought it was going to happen in 2012. But regardless that they got, got the dates wrong, it looked, it was called uh, scenario, scenario Narratives Lockstep, a world of tighter top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership with limited innovation and growing citizen pushback. This is one of their predictions. And it says, in 2012, the, the pandemic that the world had been anticipating for years finally hit. Were we anticipating a pandemic or did all the movies have predictive programming in them? Unlike 2009's H1N1, this new influenza strain originated from wild geese. Again, this was just their was extremely virulent and deadly. Even the most pandemic-prepared nations were quickly overwhelmed when the virus streaked around the world, infecting nearly 20% of the global population and killing 8 million in just a few, in just seven months. The majority of the, uh, of, uh, the majority of them uh, healthy young adults. The pandemic also had a deadly effect on economies. International mobility of people and goods screeched to a halt, debilitating industries like tourism and breaking global supply chains. Sound familiar? Even locally uh, normally bustling shops and office Buildings sat empty for months, devoid of both employees and customers. Again, sound familiar. And it talks then about how the pand- this hypothetical scenario blanketed uh, the planet. And then it says, uh, however, a few, country- few countries did fare better. China in particular, the Chinese government's quick imposition and enforcement of mandatory quarantine for all citizens, as well as its instant and near hermetic sealing off of all borders saved millions of lives, stopping the spread of the virus far earlier than in other countries and enabling a swifter post-pandemic recovery. I presume you've read this or you're familiar with it. Um, what were your thoughts when you read this? And again, keeping in mind the Rockefeller uh, Foundation is uh, linked to ID2020. Yeah, well, whenever I see Rockefeller, my eyes light up because there's a long history here of the Rockefellers uh, planning scenarios and then which are categories of the mind and then turning them into categories of reality by imposing them on on us. So uh, uh, at the end of uh, Logos Rising, uh, Notre Dame University was the cutting edge of Logos in human history. The chapter I talked about, it moved from France, it moved from Europe with people like Jacques Maritain and Etienne Gilson. It set itself up at Notre Dame. Notre Dame was going to talk about, uh, was following the footsteps of Pope Leo XIII, Eterni Patris, instituting Thomism as the official philosophy of the Catholic Church. And that all got derailed. And the full story is in the book, but the main group that was instrumental in derailing it was the Rockefellers. And their big concern at that point was contraception. And uh, they got the Notre Dame University, in particular Father Hesburgh, to stage a series of secret conferences basically to undermine the church's teaching on contraception. So they've, they've never stopped doing this. I mean, once the wealthy have so much money they don't know what to do with, they start using it to plan to control the lives of uh, normal people so that normal people will live according to their plan and not their own plan. Mm. And, of course, all of these people at this point, not all of them, but a large number of Catholics thought, oh, great, the church, I can use contraceptives now. I'm free. I'm free. And you ended up being enslaved by the Rockefellers in ways that you could not imagine. And they're only coming to fruition right now. So what you're seeing is a long standing tradition of basically Catholics willingly abandoning Logos 
willingly abandoning their own freedom, willingly abandoning the moral law, which is the only guarantee of freedom that you have in this world, and adopting some type of phony liberation uh, in the interest of, let's put it a sexual desire in the 60s, and let's say fear now. Uh, 60 years later. Yeah, to, to put it simply, as you've described in Libido Dominandi, the idea that one can be enslaved to their own passions and that religion is supposed, the Catholic Church is supposed to liberate you from those things. But if someone takes you away from the Catholic Church, you will be ultimately easy to, easy to control because all the oligarchs have to do <coughs> is ratchet up the sexual liberation, liberation content in, in academia, in, in the education system, in the media, in whatever it is, and they know what it is that ultimately will, will make human beings very docile, malleable, easy to control at that point. I'll read two final paragraphs uh, in this document because this is fascinating. Then people are going to look and go, well, hold on a second. So the, the next part, it says, China's government was not the only one that took extreme measures to protect its citizens from risk and exposure. During the, as again, hypothetical pandemic they describe in 2012, national leaders around the world flexed their authority and imposed airtight rules and restrictions from the mandatory wearing of face masks to body temperature checks at the entries to communal spaces like train stations and supermarkets. Hmm. Even after the pandemic faded, this more authoritarian... This, this is the really important part. Even after the pandemic faded, the more authoritarian control and oversight of citizens and their activ activities stuck and even intensified. In order to protect themselves from the spread of increasingly global problems from pandemics and transnational terrorism to environmental crisis and risking poverty, leaders around the world took a firmer grip on power. At first, the notion of a more controlled world gained wide acceptance and approval, which, to be honest, that's actually kind of true at the moment. Citizens willingly gave up their sovereignty and their privacy to, a more paternalistic, to more paternalistic states in exchange for greater safety and stability. Citizens were more tolerant and even eager. This is so bizarre reading this because it was written in 2010. For top-down direction and oversight, and national leaders had more latitude to impose order in the ways they saw fit. In developing countries, this heightened oversight took many forms. Biometric IDs for all citizens, for example, and tighter regulation of key industries whose stability was deemed vital to national interests in many developed countries and forced cooperation with a suite of new regulations and agreements slowly but steadily restored both power and order and, importantly, economic growth. Dr. Jones, how, how could these people possibly know so many of these things? Yeah, there's certain details that are wrong, of course. They don't have a crystal ball, but, hmm, what, what do you think when you read something like this? Well, you, you can, you, you, there are forms, there are, there are ideas, there are categories of reality, and you can just start building on them. Uh, and you can speculate. You can speculate what would happen. They obviously had inside information about uh, the spread of these diseases. They, they obviously had inside information. And that's what has to come out at this point, because there are a lot of unanswered questions. And now the part of the, what's happening in the mainstream media is they're, start, they're starting to look into the Wuhan Institute of Virology and asking the questions about uh, maybe it's more plausible that it came out of there as a bioweapon than out of the market that is supposedly selling bats to eat or bat soup or something like that, uh, especially when all of this information about this uh, basically collaboration between places like Harvard, where the professor was arrested, a professor of Harvard, a chairman of the chemistry department, was just arrested by the FBI for collusion with uh, with uh, the Chinese uh, government, spies uh, masquerading as students 
who were really members of the Chinese Liberation Army and so on and so forth. These are questions that really need to be answered. Uh, and they, the, the first thing, the first reaction of the mainstream media was simply to, to talk about anyone who brought up a question like that was obviously a conspiracy theorist. The, the headline for the article, it was on uh, ABC, Good Morning America, was, sorry, conspiracy theorist, it's not a weapon. Well, that shows that they're limping behind the internet where people have better access to information and they have to play catch up with the internet. Yeah, I think so, the, the whole throwing out the conspiracy theorist line, it does work on some people. However, with things, there, there are kind of... Um, breaks in the matrix so to speak moments like jeffrey epstein you know people go yeah he didn't kill himself and so people on the left and right are, are in agreement about that and so when people start bring, throwing the conspiracy theorist label around just doesn't have the same power anymore that it that it did have in the, in, in the past when it was so successful in shutting people down um and it, and it's really just a, a kind of a derogatory comment thrown at anybody who questions the Overton window and, and the mainstream narrative at this point. But I'm going to wrap things up there. Dr. Jones, thank you very much for being on. Again, just to remind people that your recent book is uh, Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality, and that is available presumably over on Culture Wars magazine website, I'm, I'm assuming. Culturewars.com. Yeah, go to culturewars.com. We have copies. We're mailing them out as, as we speak. Excellent. Well, that's something to read during the lockdown, which hopefully won't last all that much longer. Dr. Jones, thanks very much. Thank you.